oftentimes hard things, tough circumstances, stumbling in what we're doing, trying to do, they, they become a moment that enables us to hear God in a, in a new way. To hear him maybe when we've grown, he's grown silent to us. Not that he stopped speaking, but that we've had trouble hearing him. And so a hard thing, a tough, tough moment enables us to hear what he's been inviting us to or to finally hear a command for obedience that maybe we haven't been hearing. It's in an area that we've been resisting. And so the hard thing becomes the opening for us. Even good things, I might even say especially good things that we've come to enjoy, they can become so pleasant and so comfortable to us that we decide to sit down and go no further on the path that he's appointed for us. Because we like where we've come. We, on our journey, this, this seems like a good spot. And so then it takes something uncomfortable, something unpleasant, to get us walking again in his way. The arrest of John the Baptist. That must surely have seemed like a setback. It was a bad thing. His arrest led eventually to his beheading. And it seemed like a setback for everyone that was looking for the restoration of Israel. They were looking for the kingdom of Christ. And now the prophet has been removed. So if the most righteous one in Israel is going to be cut short, who can persevere? It seemed like a real hamper. And yet, John the Baptist's arrest appears to be necessary. Because when John's voice was silenced, a new voice could be heard. We're in Matthew chapter 4, uh, actually verses 12 to 23, Matthew chapter 4, uh, 12 to 23. So if you'd look with me. Between verse 11 and verse 12, in Matthew's account, between two verses, almost a year has passed. So sometimes if we're trying to uh, sort through the chronology of Jesus' ministry, this gets confusing, but uh, recorded in John chapters 1 through 4 is this year, what occurs between verses 11 and 12. It's in that time that John the Baptist was still active. He was still ministering. John's disciples are becoming Jesus' disciples. They're working together. They're ministering side by side. Jesus is often in that region of the wilderness by the Jordan River. In John chapter 3, we see John the Baptist still at liberty. So Jesus was there. He was active. He was healing. He went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He spoke to a woman at a Samaritan well. He cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. He was doing stuff. But he was not yet preaching the kingdom. Between verses 11 and 12 of Matthew, we see that John the Baptist's arrest is important because immediately after, Matthew says, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. 
John's arrested. Jesus goes to Galilee so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, that means from John's arrest and Jesus' relocation, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So as Matthew sets out the chronology for us, the arrest of John, this good one, the one who had prepared the way for the Messiah, the prophet, was the immediate precursor for Jesus to begin a new phase of public ministry. A bad thing was the immediate precursor for the beginning of this preaching. Matthew points to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Mark tells us that once Jesus moved to Capernaum, he said explicitly, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The word fulfilled. Fulfilled, it's like ripeness. This, the same word here is the word used of Mary when she was fully pregnant and it was time, her time was fulfilled and it was time for her to deliver Jesus. Same word. Ripeness. The time for the light to dawn. The time for the light to come to people in darkness. It was ready. It's the time for the kingdom to outbreak. It's time for the rescue operation to get underway. And it's time for everyone who wants to respond to hear the message they can respond. So John's arrest that led to his execution was the signal for Jesus to begin to proclaim his kingdom was here. So with the message of ripeness, his call is repent. The Greek word is metanoia. I don't often plague you with Greek words. You're welcome. It means think differently. It means have a change or a transfer of mind. It means... You've been thinking in one way, set that way aside and think in a new way, a different way. Think differently. We, um, we often upload into our word repent. The English word, it's the English word, repent. The Latin penitentia. So in Jerome's Vulgate, that's what the word is there, penitentia. Penitence. What that means, we give a connotation to the word repent of feel bad about yourself. Um, feel bad and try to get back in favor. I'm not saying we all do that, but it, we tend to pull that into the word repent. Try to get back in God's favor. The word means think differently. Think have a new mind. So because the kingdom of God is at hand, the new kingdom, Christ's kingdom, 
It's time for people to accept a new way of thinking, a new way of reasoning, a new way of acting, his way. It's time to accept the words of Jesus as the words of God. That's a radical move. Because the kingdom is here, the new kingdom, it's time to subject every custom, every practice, every cultural norm, every tradition. It's time to subject it to Jesus' judgment to let him interpret. God's Christ is the judge. Christ is the interpreter. Christ is the revealer. So this is a new call, this call to repent and believe. It's a call to accept a change of mind, and that change of mind is to believe the Christ. So here in verse 18, in the setting of this moment, as Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, the new kingdom with a new mind is about to unfold. And then he comes to the fishermen, two pairs of brothers, Andrew and Peter, James and John, they've known him for at least six months. Sometimes we come to this passage and we think, oh, he's calling them out of the blue. Jesus comes to the seashore and he's just up. They know Jesus. Peter and Andrew were there. When Jesus was baptized, they were disciples of John. They became disciples of Jesus. They were following him to the wedding at Cana in Galilee. They were with him at the Samaritan well. They have context for him when he comes to them. And so when he comes, he's there in order to call them. That's why he's walking along the sea. He's coming to young men that he knows. Young men who know him. And so they have a context for this call. And then it's with the greatest of simplicity that he commands, follow me. Follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. Follow me. This may be the most pivotal moment in their lives. It's one of those points that we all come to. Youth, you will come to a moment like this. It's a moment that will be pivotal, where your life will take a different direction because of that decision that you made. Uh, for good or for ill, I can think of a moment where there was one afternoon and I made two phone calls, and I turned down a job in Canada and one in Ohio, not because I had another job waiting for me, but because I had seen an advertisement for one in a place I had never heard of, in a state I never even knew someone from. Yes, yes, Nampa. Uh, and uh, as I talked to the people on the phone, they said, so you have a... You have another, another offer? You have another job? No. No, no, I don't. And they said, good luck. <laughs> it 
We all come to those moments. And I, I bet you could, adults, you can think about moments in your life in the past where you made a pivotal choice. And it changed everything. Kids, you're going to have that. And we remember it. I have no doubt that this moment finds its way into all of the gospel accounts because it was such a part of the shared memory of the apostles. Do you remember when he called us and we left? And so on that particular day by the Sea of Galilee, the smell of fish is in the air. Their hands are on these nets and they're slimy with algae. They made a decision. And he called them. Simple, unsophisticated, uneducated men who would then give their lives to him and give their lives to the kingdom. No, they did not know what they were getting into. There was no way for them to know this. They were, they're simple. They're simple fishermen. They probably didn't have a, grandiose ideas of what this would look like. Their fondest hopes had probably been a safe future for their children, freedom from Roman bullying and taxes, all the people of their hometown worshiping God as they should. I think their, their biggest hope was that Israel would be good again. Things would be good. That's not a whole lot to want. And then John came preaching, and it was time. They'd gone out to him because finally, finally hope had come. This was it. A real spirit-inspired prophet. It had been 400 years since there'd been a prophet in Israel, and now there's one. And they'd gone to see it. They'd gone to taste it. They'd gone to experience this movement. It was an exciting time. Exciting. But then Jesus came looking for them. He came to them. We, we don't know what place they had imagined for themselves in this kingdom, but now he comes to them and says, I want you. I want you to be at the heart of this. I want you to be with me. And so in a moment, everything in their lives comes to a point would they follow? This person who's talking to them has, has been declared to be the prophet, priest, king of Israel. Would they follow him? Have you ever thought about what's involved here? It is a complete giving over of identity into the hands of Jesus. This man, he's asking them to leave everything and be with him and as far as they knew as far as they knew Jesus was asking them to oppose the Roman Empire because in their understanding that's what the Christ does he ejects the Romans so he's saying come be with me and we will expel the Romans leave your wives maybe children they're young Leave the simple hope of a safe future for your family. Leave that comfortable path. Not an easy path, but comfortable because they know it. 
Leave what you know, leave the slimy nets and the smell of fish. This is a call to change their thinking. It's a call to repent. It's metanoia. And when we're reading the scriptures, the gospels, all of the gospel writers do this. Jesus will make a, a profound statement, and then they will show him, enact it. He says, repent and believe the gospel. That's what he's preaching, and then he does it. He brings that to a group of people, his disciples. He's saying to them, have a change of everything. Think differently. Believe the gospel. Follow me. So based on the testimony of John the Baptist, based also on what they've seen of Jesus, he invites them to surrender to him as the Lord, to let him be the ruler, to let him determine what they will eat later in the day, where they're going to go the next day, where they're going to sleep. They yield everything up to him. Total surrender. And they do a powerful act. They surrender. Trusting surrender. And I think that's one reason they all recorded it, is that this became a basic paradigm for their life with Jesus ever afterward. It became a basic way of living, a basic way of relating to Jesus. He knows he is the Lord. It's theirs to follow. That's the paradigm of a disciple. Jesus knows he's the Lord. It's the disciple's role to follow. What a change of thinking. What a change of thinking this was for them. What a change of thinking this is for us. This is the basic paradigm that we are invited to as well. God's way is to invite, invite us to act and to make decisions, to, to live our life in the world, not on the basis of calculated outcomes, but based solely on obedience to his words, obedience to his spirit, the voice of his spirit telling us what is righteous, showing us what he has revealed to be right and righteous. And these become opportunities for us to trust him. So based on whatever we know of his character, whatever little of life that we've experienced, and based on what we read in the scriptures, based on his character, based on our experience, based on what we read in the scriptures, we are given opportunities to demonstrate faith. This walking in faith, that is our metanoia. That is our change of thinking. That's the different way of thinking. It's only those who have been given Christ who can think in that way. He alone gives us access to his understanding, to his way of uh, valuing and weighing the world. So just as the disciples found, when we yield to him, when we're willing to trust his authority, 
He reveals his character to us in new and deeper ways. When we trust him. It's in trusting him, in leaving the nets and following, that his character is revealed to us. And we grow. And when he makes the command to follow, when he says, think differently, he is, in fact, asking for everything. It's nice to soft-pedal this, and I confess I have soft-pedaled the gospel at times. And sort of shared the incremental nature of our change. That's true. Sanctification is a lifetime. But what he is asking for is everything. That's the truth. Everything we know at that moment to surrender. Mercifully, like he does with the the disciples, uh, along the way, he uncovers areas not yet given to him. We don't know about it all in the moment. The yielding of everything, we don't even know what that entails. He's gentle with us to show us the unyielded areas bit by bit. But the command is always everything right now. He's the Lord. That's that's pretty big, isn't it? Everything you have to surrender, surrender it right now. So I, I hope I'm communicating. He's always asking for everything. But what we are aware of changes. Repent again. Today, every one of us is receiving a call to repent again, to think differently. He's saying, let me change your thinking. And so it comes afresh. Follow me. I'll change you. Take your hands from the nets again. And today... Today, for us to surrender everything, we'll look a little bit different than it did two years ago. Because we know a little bit. We we are different than we were two years ago. Mercifully, he doesn't show us all the shaping he's going to do. Do you think those disciples would have followed if they had known? Think about, would they have left these nets? Would they have followed if Jesus had said, Follow me. If you come, you should probably know this. None of what you think is going to happen is going to happen. I'm not going to kick out the Romans. Actually, they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to tear down the temple. uh, And you are not going to be respected in Israel. This new kingdom is not going to be honored. You are, in fact, going to be hated by most of the people you know. You're often going to be hungry, tired, and weak. You're going to lose Capernaum and Bethsaida. Every personal dream that you have ever had, gone. And at the end, you'll be cruelly killed. You actually will be hung upside down on a cross. And you will have your legs cut off. you will have joy unspeakable 
As you follow me, as you walk in the midst of this, you will have joy you can't even imagine, and you will have everlasting treasure in heaven. I think, even given that last bit, they would have chosen the fish and the algae. Uh, But they followed. They followed because they acknowledged his kingly claim on them. And not long after, they discovered an even deeper claim. What Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So this is what's true for us today. Jesus has called us to be his disciples. We've heard a call. You wouldn't be sitting in this room if you hadn't at least heard the call. And the call is to submit everything we have under his authority. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So like like the four fishermen, the king is making a claim on us. And his command is that everything about us would be oriented around him. Everything about our lives would be oriented around him. None of us can say that's true. Everything about my life is not oriented around Jesus. I would that it were. But his command is that our whole lives would be around knowing him and serving him, presenting all that we are and all that we have to him. That's how we're going to live eternally. That's what everlasting life looks like. And so that formation begins in these temporal realms. So no matter where we are in our discipleship, we don't know what kind of plan he has to continue to shape us. But he promises that as we yield our lives to him, he will give us abundance. It's going to be an abundant life. So I want to say to you, uh, hold your nets loosely. Those nets, they're different for us. Maybe your job, it's your reputation, it's your tasks, it's your service, it's your roles. Hold them loosely. They can consume us. They can deceive us into thinking that our worth comes from them, that you are this task or role. So we need to be holding loosely, ready to lose those things to receive a better. And I'm not saying don't love your family or your job or your service. Those are good things. I'm saying don't tie your identity to them because if you tie your identity to these things, you will not be able to hear Jesus when he invites you to follow in some new way. Or maybe even worse, you might not be able to follow. And lastly, learn to listen. Learn to listen and be attentive. Our society today drives us to be so consumed with ourselves that we never listen. Social media drives us to be self-obsessed, to endlessly pour into this the, a pit of consumption. 
There's never been an age of narcissism like this. Self-obsession. You cannot listen if you are only listening to your body and what it's demanding. You cannot hear the Holy Spirit. We won't be able to listen to Jesus and hear him say, come follow this way. If we're not listening and we learn to listen to the authentic sound of his voice in the scriptures, the scriptures give us God's voice. This is what he sounds like. When he calls people in the Bible, what does he sound like? When he challenges or he rebukes, what does he sound like? You can't hear a rebuke if you don't know what it sounds like. When he ushers, when he woos, when he invites, what does that sound like? And then as we learn his authentic voice in Scripture, we'll then be able to hear when he is speaking through a friend, when he is speaking through a family member, when he is speaking in times of silence and prayer, when he's speaking through nature, when he's speaking through situations. We are very easily deceived. We need to know the sound of his voice. And he will, full circle, he will use those difficult circumstances that we're going to have this year. Going to use hard things, discomfort, so that we'll start listening again. Lord, help us. Help us to hear your voice. Lord, we pray that You'd also give us the help of your Holy Spirit to respond to you as you say, think differently. Help us to hear you. And when you put your finger on a thing and when you put your finger on an area of our lives that isn't yielded, give us the power to yield it up. In Jesus' name.